So welcome to a great episode with MC Yogi. Um, I was really privileged to speak to him, actually. It's an unusual podcast. We only had Danny Paradise as a musician and now MC Yogi on the show. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this. And at the end, there's a special treat for you because he's actually given us his new remix of the song Breathe Deep uh, by Soul Rising. Uh, and it's releasing on February 16th. So you'll be the first to hear this. Uh, so definitely stay tuned to the end of the show. I hope you enjoy the conversation, but got a little treat at the end to hear some of his music. And if you don't know his stuff already, his newest album is Sound Patterns. It's out on Spotify and all that stuff. And uh, he's got about four albums out, actually. So definitely check him out generally. Want some background music or even maybe music to your yoga? You never know. You might enjoy it. Okay. So I hope you enjoy the podcast and uh, definitely stay tuned to the end to check out his new release. We debuted here, world a world premiere of MC Yogi's new, new tune. All right. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today we have Nicholas Giacomini on the podcast, otherwise known as MC Yogi. Um, really, really great to have you here, Nick. Thanks for having me, Adam. Great to talk, man. Yeah, uh, you're probably one of the only two musicians I've ever interviewed. I, well, Danny Paradise, a Yogi musician, and now and are you. So later on in the podcast, you can expect to hear a few uh, tracks we're going to insert from uh, from the MC himself, uh, little snippets snippets of his music. But first of all, I guess you know the, you know you wrote a great book actually. And if you haven't, um, if you don't know anything about Nick, read Spiritual Graffiti. It's a book that he wrote, and it's an easy book to read. I wrote, read it in two nights, and it's a fun and and, and nice, and uh, I recommend it. It's a good book, and it's uh, and it's a good way to get to know the guy if you're interested in him and his music. Eh? So just to maybe talk about your early life, Nick, because you have an interesting backstory. And uh, I think it's uh, it makes your music come alive a lot more when you know a little bit about where you come from. Well, thanks, man. Um, well, first of all, just thanks for having me, man. So great to connect. So great to uh, yeah. be in conversation and another fellow uh, yoga nerd. And, and we're, I found out we're born in the same year. So I'm um, same year. Pretty, yeah. When's your birthday? Amazing. Are you 45 August, yet? August 26. So I'm going to be 40, I think a 45 Five. this year, I think. Yeah, you're 45 yeah, this yeah. year, mate. But um, a little bit after me, I'm in April. So, uh, you know, just a couple a couple months ahead of you. And he's coming from the Bay Area today. So San Francisco, I believe, right? That's yeah. where you're living right now? Yeah. I was born, born in San Francisco. And actually, that's how the book starts is uh, my mom is about to give birth to me on the Golden Gate Bridge. So she's in labor. She's breathing deep. And uh, it was an early Sunday morning, as far as um, as I understand. I was born early, as the sun was rising in San Francisco, and I uh, grew up in that area. Spent my whole life in this area, Northern California, and um, and yoga. Well, I first discovered yoga because of my dad. So when I grew up, I was a, and I used to, um, I was sort of classified as a juvenile delinquent. So I got kicked out of, I think three three schools, and I got sent to a group home where I lived for two and a half years. I got kicked out of there too, but eventually they let me back and I graduated a year late. And uh, when I graduated, my dad had started practicing Ashtanga yoga and he showed me his first teaching that he ever gave me was, because I asked him, I said, what is, what are you doing? Because he, he seemed so mellow. Like he seemed like he had totally transformed since the time I'd gone off um, to the group home. And he was way more relaxed, way more calm, way more grounded, felt more connected. His just his whole atmosphere, his energy, his attitude, it just he felt really peaceful and, and happy. And so I started to ask him, I said, you know, what's going on? What are you doing? He's like, well, I'm practicing yoga. And I said, well, what is yoga? And he said, Good he question. gave me the first, he has a great question. <laughs> yeah. he, gave, he, gave, he gave me the first teaching and he said, just breathe. And I said, well, I'm always breathing. What are you talking about? And he said, but how often are you paying attention to your breath? And I thought about it and I was like, wow, you know, I've never really slowed down and watched my breath. So I took a deep breath. We took a deep breath together. And then I kept, I kept inquiring and asking him more. I said, well, well, tell me more about this yoga. I'm really fascinated and interested because he never pushed it on me. It was it was like through attraction, through his just like the quality of his being was really like it kind of lit something inside of me. I became really curious and interested. Um, so it was really through his example, and and then he just showed me. I think he showed me like Janusher sauce in the A, and we and I did that. It was my first stretch, and we did it in the um, living room. And he he taught me some of the Ujjayi breath, and then he said, you know, why go to this regular Mysore practice on Tuesday nights? And if you want, you're happy to come. Nobody's teaching, but you can just watch and follow along. And so I ended up going to the um, Mysore class, and it was my dad and a couple of his um, friends, all working class guys, carpenters, and um, 
one of the there was one lady who she was a baker she had a, a bakery and um and it was just like a small group of people doing first and second series and i remember the first time i i touched the mat and i just started to fall along and it was one of the most challenging things i'd ever done that first practice but when i hit that first shavasana i just felt all my suffering for one shining moment like mm. I, cause I was going through depression and anxiety mm. and I was having yeah, a lot yeah, of stress yeah. and, and addictions yeah. and all kinds of stuff going on and that first shavasana it all vanished it all that's weird isn't it I mean I had the same experience yeah. like I'd done martial arts and all kinds of I was a gym beforehand and all this stuff but the first class it was just hatha yoga I wasn't even I didn't even start ashtanga you know I was, I was like in a basic hatha yoga class I remember just doing a forward fold and just thinking this is the most painful thing i've ever experienced you know but as you say when you finish and you lie down it's like i'm like you know you never had that experience even whatever you did when you were younger so and i still to this day don't really i'm still trying to understand why like why it works in that manner you know like like just to try and rationalize it out i mean we know it does work you know we had that experience but why is it that it works like that you know and as you mentioned i have a i have a sense have a theory yeah yeah i have a sense i have a feeling it's because in the absence of all desire, there's peace. <laughs> and then the, but why does that work a, physically like that? There was a big, it's a bigger rabbit hole. And I also have my ideas, but you know, we can't do, we can't go into them now. We have a lot to talk about. But did you have, did you have also a drug problem? You said because I, I mean, I came from it. Yeah, I really, one major, major reason I came to it, to be honest, was I was a maybe a, a nineteen twenty, and already I had a really bad uh, alcohol. Uh, problem you know like and I it was okay when you're young you know it's all a bit of fun you know but I was drinking all the time and I knew that something had to change you know because it wasn't going to be fun in five ten years you know so it was really partly to break that and to and and Mm. also to break what was behind it which was a a chronic anxiety condition of what what I had well that's that's so interesting what's behind the addiction because um, what drives it it's desire really is the fuel for the fire of our suffering like when I feel like I really want something, I feel like I'm very uncomfortable. Like I, I, I feel like I'm outside of myself. I feel like I'm, I'm trying, I'm struggling. I'm in my thoughts, I'm in my emotions. I'm usually disconnected from my body. I'm not paying attention to my breath. I'm either in the future or the past. So I'm lost in the weeds of my mind. And mm. the, whole, the whole thrust, the whole point and purpose of the practice as I understand it, you know, is, is to not identify with the fluctuating waves of the mind to be able to be established as the seer as the purusha as the atman which has no thoughts no emotions never changes is always still ever present pure unbroken non-judgmental loving kind awareness which is shining through everyone's eyes all the time it's always here and i think when we've when we resolve in shavasana after going through all the the gestures of the postures which is really a full body um especially primary series, like a full body therapeutic, mm. uh, you know, you're, you're really touching every inch of, of, of your body, mind and psyche and your heart. Everything's getting integrated. And especially with yeah, the breath, you're pretty rigorous. Yeah. As yeah, a, as a full in, body training. Like, and it demands your attention. You know, it's, it's so challenging <laughs> that you have to be present. Um, That's it. And so Shavasana, then all that, that maximum effort. And then you have that maximum surrender that Ishvara Pranidhan, like just letting it all go, giving it all back to spirit, back to source. And I think that's the peace in Shavasana. And I think that's why I got hooked because I do have an addictive nature because my, you know, because I still identify with my mind. So that that's the, the root of all addiction. So when I first did that Shavasana with my dad, it was like, there was no turning back. That I, All I yeah. want every day for the rest of my life, I want to know everything I can possibly know about yoga. And that began my quest, which was my question. What is yoga? <laughs> that was and lucky then, to have your dad introduce you like that. You know, my dad played a bit of squash, but I, I mean, uh, nothing <laughs> like that. You know, that wasn't really that helpful, you know. Um, and a cricket, you know, in England, as you played a bit of cricket, I remember. But again, you know, like not exactly yoga, is it? Um, you know what, like with your background like that, and you come from the background, it maybe you want to talk, maybe you don't want to talk more about it, but I found it interesting. It was a punky about rap. You know, you were doing some, you were into some 
you know, marginal kind of uh, underground kind of, as you say, delinquent activities with the graffiti, getting arrested, doing graffiti and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And when you came into the yoga, did it mark a great like stop or schism, you know, between that background and a new background? Or or did you try and relate your your younger experiences to your, to what you were experiencing in yoga, you know? How, how did they go together? Or, or was it so a, that, just a, a cut and, and change? That was a threshold that I crossed. But yeah. it, it began the process of integration. So everything that happens in life as I see it is a part, uh, it's a process. You know, we're, who I am is a process. Like my body, my mind, my emotions, that's all a process. It's never ending. It's always evolving, changing. I'm going through the waves of the gunas. You know, nature is fluctuating and happening. But the process of softening back into the self, back into the seer, back into awareness, it's that began my journey back in to be recognizing that I am awareness. I am not everything. I am not nature. I am the dreamer who's experiencing the dream. I am the seer who's seeing the scene, you know, and be just tasting that and touching that and that, that recognition and that remembrance that, that I, you, all of us are that divine spark shining in the center of our life. That helped me to, really shift the the trajectory of my life so instead of going outward now i'm bending back inward and as the senses start to slide back in you know pratyahara like drawing everything back into the shell and being inside our being it's a magical process where a lot of things start to unfold that it's hard to explain you know the shift the healing and the the transformation that happens in that really deep space and so I, I and I, I the word that I feel really encapsulates it the most because um, I'm a devotee and, and a follower of Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji mm-hmm. um, is this word grace. And word grace is something that happens to us that is beyond our own effort. It's like you, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't do something to gain it, but through grace it happens. And the practice helps to prime us so that we can be open and receptive to to experience the grace, you know, of the self of the you know the guru. There's an old saying in India: "God, guru, and self are one." Mm. You know, when when, mm. when all of those folds collapse back into being, we can see that that there's only one here, but we're still separate. We're still individuals, so we're having to navigate that beautiful balance of just being aware of our separateness, but not identifying with it. And on the note of uh, Neem Karoli, and uh, I believe you had Krishna Das on, on your uh, recording with you sometimes, right? You know, we've had him on the podcast yeah. and yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's cool to have, to have him on your records as well like that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I know that you had uh, in your early experiences though, you still had some, uh, some, some kind of spiritual experiences when you were young, you know, yeah. in the midst of other yeah. things. And, and uh, well, we're feel, always having, we're always, yeah. Do you feel you were always trying to work things out? Was there always that yeah. sense of, uh, cause I mean, for I me, I mean, I can remember very young, I was questioning from the start, even though I was getting into not necessarily helpful activities, there was still underneath all my bad activities. There was a questioning of, uh, what's going on here, you know, like, which was, did you, all, did you, yeah. did you always have the sense growing up that something wasn't quite right yeah something (laughs) yeah yeah me yeah 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 for sure something's kind of off i suppose it just seemed that everyone else was just getting along and for me everything was just kind of felt like really like like really strange like you know like everyone was kind of accepting reality and for me it was just like everything just was felt like super normal like i mean you know like what's going on here it was almost mundane but also bizarre at the same time you know so yeah i felt a sconce i I felt a a difference from from peers who just seemed to unquestionably accept and just assume that this reality was the way it was but for me well one that wasn't adequate and two you know i was just Mm. for some reason i had this question what am i doing here and you know and then i actually due to my dad i found these uh i always say this these carlos castaneda books you know the carlos castaneda tales of yeah. power and the you know and he had a few of those books on their bookshelf for some reason from his hippie days and i started to read those and that, that was the because you know where i'm from you know we didn't have any religion anymore or nothing was there nothing was there at all to be honest like you know there was no 
ideas of anything other, you know. And so, so you didn't I watch those, you didn't you didn't watch Star Wars growing up. You didn't see Return of the I Jedi. Did, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it didn't relate. I I was never interested in this kind of uh, what I saw as a. Uh, yeah, like uh, I was kind of, how do you call it, science fiction. Like it didn't relate to me in a spiritual quest. This just seemed to be like movies, you know. But when I read those books, I thought, well, maybe there's something other in consciousness. Maybe there's something where I could resolve this consciousness to feel a bit better, you know, to feel mm. feel a bit more like uh, in touch with itself or, you know, that there's something mm. more to gain, you know. Uh, so so yeah, you, said, was- you said it wasn't adequate. So if it's not adequate, you ought to quit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that didn't come until I, I didn't feel that way. I mean, I try to toe the line. As no, much I, as I totally relate. I'm just, I'm just playing with words, but you know, I totally, I, think, uh, I totally understand the feeling because I had that same sentiment growing up that something felt like not right. Like on the surface, everyone was going along with everything, but it felt like there was something more. There was something missing. There was something that I wasn't quite. Um, I wasn't getting it through school. I wasn't getting it through religion. I, I, I love and appreciate and respect my family, but it, it was just something bigger and something deeper, something beyond what was being presented to me in the um, in the in the external world. And so I always had that hunger, that thirst, and that that um, that that longing. You know, I think we have that in common. That inquiry of like, what is it? You yeah. know what? Yeah. You know, and of, of course, in the yoga tradition, we have great, um, amazing, you know, luminaries like Ramana Maharshi, who has the yoga of self inquiry, asking the question, "Who am I?" You know, the ultimate question that we can ponder in our lifetime and really excavate and examine and investigate. And I think that's what the yoga practice is so powerful at. It, it, it's taking the raw material, the substance that we're born with, our body, our blood, our breath, our lungs, our heart, you know, our eyes, our senses, our thoughts, our emotions, and, and cooking all of that, using all of that to really move into that process of the practice and to, to discover what is shining in the center of my life. What is it that is still that never changes, that is always the same, that's always been here? And what, when I dive into it, I, I feel, you know, words, you know, words are inadequate, but the word awareness seems like it, it, it is pointing me in the right direction, you know, becoming, you know, aware of who is having the thoughts, who's feeling the feelings, um, becoming aware of nature, how everything is sort of miraculously happening right now in the present moment. The planets are turning, the waves are rolling, the wind is blowing, the heart is beating, our wounds are healing, our eyes are blinking. There's so much happening right now, like automagically, it's just happening. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. like what is what is the power, the force, the energy, the spirit that is animating all this and how does it relate to me? And how can I be in tune with it? How can I harmonize with it? How can I relax and rest into it so that it can flow? And I can be in that stream. And what I'm realizing now, and I feel like I'm just a baby, but I'm realizing that it, the way to, to do it is just to relax. And I think yoga I think, just grabs us and like yeah, <laughs> works I mean, us out so that we can relax. <laughs> I think that for so many people, like the yoga is such an obvious and tangible thing to get into because your daily experience of your body is so immediate. You know, you don't need any introduction to that. Like you've got this immediate experience and uh, it's an easy way in, you know, um, which yeah, it's direct. Yeah. It's, it's so quick and direct. And as you say, and um, yeah, talk about that. Maybe uh, like the Larry, uh, you did Larry Schultz's rocket yoga and you had a unique relationship there. You were very fortunate yeah. to go live in that and Larry's place, right? You had a little cubby hole, I think a little cupboard yeah. at the top of the studio and you had Larry, you know, like personal time with Larry for a great deal of time. Right. So maybe just tell people how you, you know, how you experienced the rocket yoga and, and how was Larry? Because is uh, mm-hmm. obviously a super charismatic figure, but um, he died too young, and uh, I think people don't know enough about him as well. Eh? Um, well, so after I climbed out of that first shavasana, feeling completely filled with euphoric, ecstatic bliss, like for the first time, I was just, I was hooked. I'm on a quest. So now I start showing mm-hmm. up to practice. And then my dad says, you know, if you want, I can take you to my teacher who's in the city, and we can go to the class together. So I was like, let's go, man, because my dad had a huge stack of book yoga books and I just started devouring them. I started getting into meditation. I started looking into all these different gurus and I really made it my, um, 
you know, I, I shaved my head. I, I was living, I was, I be, kind of like became like a monk, you know, like I just wanted to be a yogi and, and practice yoga all the time and understand what that meant. So I went to the city with my dad and we rolled into class and, and, and I step into this scene is kind of blowing my mind because I walk into this room and there's just all these amazing, um, beautiful people, you know, like young, diverse, um, the room is hot. Um, there's music playing before class It's on the second story. So it's overlooking the San Francisco Bay. And, and then Larry kind of strolls in like, I, I want to say like a jungle cat. Like he just kind of got a little strut, you know, like he just walking in like with swagger. And I was like, man, this guy is so cool. And, and Larry and my dad were really, they're like best friends. So Larry was like my uncle. So, but I didn't really meet Larry because I was in the group home. So when my dad took me and it was like just instant, like connection, it was like meeting someone who you'd been related to for a long time that, you know, you're just getting reunited. So Larry and I, um, you know, he, like you're saying, he took me under his wing. He became my Mm -hmm. mentor. And, and, and the thing about Larry that was so magnetic and so amazing was that he just loved yoga. He loved the practice. He loved teaching. He loved everything about it. And he exuded this natural enthusiasm, which was really uh, infectious. Like it was fun. It was fun to be around. He was laughing. He knew everybody, like all the homeless guys on the street knew him and he was cool with everyone. Um, You know, he had, you know, at that time, you know, weed was still illegal, but Larry always had a huge joint. So, and, but he never smoked before he taught. He always smoked after class. And he just had this, uh, this, like this, this cosmic cloud around him. And he was kind of a, he was, Larry was very much a mystic in the sense that he was, he was a wild shamanic guy, but he was also a seer. And every once in a while he would just flash and, and say something out of the blue. And it would kind of strike you like lightning and stop you in your tracks. And it, you would kind of crack when you heard it. And I had many experiences where Larry would just say something out of the blue. I I remember one time very specifically, because once I met Larry, it was like getting on the train. Like I, I, I lived at the studio. I traveled with him. I was his gopher. He'd send me on, you know, go for this, go for that. I go get him coffee. And, um, and one time he was talking to a friend and his friend was giving him a hard time about Ashtanga yoga, saying, you can't really call this Ashtanga yoga. This is not the traditional sequence. And Larry looked at him and he says, you don't exist. I don't exist. Patabi Joyce doesn't exist. Ashtanga yoga doesn't exist. Only God exists. And the guy just looked at him and he was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say. And it was like cold water being splashed in his face. And I and, and I was in the room and I just heard it out of the corner of my ear. And I kind of looked over and I was like, it was like a, a gust of wind blew through the room. And I was like, whoa, what did he just say? And Larry had that sort of vision where he was able to see through the facade, the surface. He had that psychedelic vision where he could see beyond just what everybody was doing. He was, you know, he had that mystic vision, you know, he was able to see into the other side and, and uh, it was really, he had an electric presence and he was wild and crazy and unpredictable and, but he was amazing. And uh, I was so lucky to be able to spend time with him. And, and I feel like, um, I feel like he never left, you know, he just changed forms. He just changed Mm. forms, man. Did you know? Did you know Rima Data? Do you know? Do you know her? Yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. I had her on the podcast recently. You know, and yeah, she she amazing. works with Larry, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Um, well, you know, Larry mentioned, and you mentioned that um, Batabi Joyce was what well, Larry was saying was his teacher or even his guru. I mean, you know, but we know mm-hmm. that Larry kind of did his own thing with the rocket yoga, but he still yeah, felt that Batabi Joyce was his teacher, right? You know, but he was amending he the forms, had, as I believe. Yeah. No, he Larry always carried. An ama- a tremendous amount of respect for the tradition and for Guruji. And um, I think he just felt like, you know, because he started teaching to the Grateful Dead and he tried teaching Mysore mm. to the Grateful Dead and they just weren't having it. And so that's when the, where the rocket developed was he, he, he decided to mix up the practice. It, it seemed like divine inspiration, to be honest, because the way that he brought those postures together, like he really took his time and he studied and he developed a, a form of the practice that, it just made sense for modern people. It was fun. It was engaging. It was strong. Um, 
it, it wasn't the same all the time. And he also wasn't teaching traditional Mysore, which is you didn't have to go to him to get the next posture. And I think he really wanted to open it up and make it more accessible so that it didn't rely just right, on so him. Right, so also this Mysore is there. He was teaching a Mysore, but there was a bit more free, right? As far as I know, the way that the, the rocket... The, there may have been Mysore at the studio. When I was going, I remember specifically, and there was amazing teachers came through It's Yoga in San Francisco. And I was so lucky because I got to practice with Tim Miller. Um, I got to practice with Mati and Chuck, Chuck Miller mm. and Mati Azrati. Um, I got to practice with, um, of course, I mean, over the years, I've had amazing, amazing opportunities. Sharon Gannon and David Life. Um, Dharma Mitra, just so many incredible teachers. I've, I just count my blessings because I've been really, really, truly blessed to be able to spend time with incredible, amazing teachers. Um, but Larry was the one that introduced me to a lot of them. And there was uh, there was definitely primary series being taught. There was modified primary being taught. And then there was Rocket. I don't know that there was a traditional Mysore program as far as I can remember. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of pedestrian question about Rocket, really. I should do my homework and learn more about the Rocket sequences. But I do know that it was Bob Weir, wasn't it, of the Grateful Dead that yeah, came, up yeah. with, came up with the name Rocket Yoga. I'd, I'd heard that before, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah what a claim to fame. Um, but I, I think, you know, and the, 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 uh, there must, I mean, I have to look at the series, you know, more, more clearly, but they must be enduringly good, you know, because, you know, they, they are, they, uh, they stand the test of time, don't they? You know, up to this well, day, really... Rocket is, is popular. I actually feel in a way that, as I said to you before we started, you know, the Rocket is actually getting more popular again as people become, you know, the censorious and the litigious nature of Ashtanga as it become increasingly uh, particular with details and, and uh, controlling people's experience, you know, the, the, the freedom of rocket and the, the trying out of different arm balances and stuff i think it's appealing to people and i think you still get well, the, the flow and the repetition the, but yeah and the spirit the spirit of that goes through and beyond because it really opened up the gates for you know the the more modern vinyasa yoga practice because larry was one of the early people to really adapt and modify and and break out of the set sequence mm, and mm. that really did pave the way for for vinyasa yoga i i don't know that a lot of people i mean there are other um people who helped do that as well but yeah. larry was one of the early a, pioneers in that yeah 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 i never thought of it that way there's a, definitely a few people around that time i mean like uh did he know brian kess for example did larry have any any yeah, relationship larry with knew, brian yeah larry knew he, larry knew everybody because the scene was really small like yeah uh, of course, when yeah. we started practicing yoga in the '90s, it was, you know, it was kind of a ragtag bunch of of people, and it was like surfers, and um, in the city, it was like you know the internet boom was just ha you know happening in San Francisco, so there was a lot of young people, and there was a lot of energy and activity, and uh, I remember like if you wanted to go online, you'd go to to an internet cafe. Yeah, then you get hacked because so you hadn't closed your email or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. It was it was a it was a fun time. And actually yeah. at that time in San Francisco it was an explosion of graffiti. So mm. I was kind of in the right place at the right time in the right state of mind for just a whole bunch of there was all kinds of cultures colliding. So the Bay Area has been been my brother, who's also named Adam, he's an amazing uh, DJ. And the DJ, the turntable movement in uh, the Bay Area was, it was like one of the biggest um, DJ capitals of the world in terms of hmm. people who were innovating scratch and and, and turntable techniques and um, electronic music, down-tempo music, house music, dub music, like everything was happening at that time, late 90s, mm. early 2000s. And yoga was just starting to catch on in terms of like a subculture. People were beginning um, more interested in it. But you know, in those early days, it was rare to find a yoga studio. It was rare to find other people who practice yoga. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you had to actually, you had to really look for it. They have to try. Now he's just trying to avoid them. You know, you yeah. avoid them. <laughs> but they, and the, you know, no, everyone's oh, your hairdresser. Oh, yeah, I've done a TT yeah. as well. I teach on the side. You know, and you just can't avoid it, can you? But yeah, at the time, I mean, I just stumbled into it because I just happened to. Have, there was a Ashtanga teacher in the in the small town I was living in that you, you know when I was doing university. You know, but that what, was Adam. What year? What year was that that you started? As you say, it was in '99 or something in the '90s, the late '90s. You know, mm -hmm. so and at that time, as you point out rightly, it was a. 
that I think what I want to remind people of that come later is that it was a kind of counterculture vibe around it. Like yeah. people that were yeah. there, they were alternative minded. Now it's like very much the opposite in a way. If you don't do yoga, you're alternative minded, you know, it's like, but then it was like, <laughs> you were surrounded by people really doing different different things with their life you know there were people that wanted to yeah, make a statement and do something different yeah so yeah. not to say that the the clientele or the people that are practicing is any worse now but then there was a, just a different vibe around it and people as you say very much inter interrelating the yoga asana with uh movements like uh casey uh, krishna consciousness or you know mm -hmm. uh, the graffiti or or uh, punk music punk was big in Ashtanga yeah, it was very much it was very much like the skate culture or BMX yeah, culture, yeah, yeah. culture. So it was like in the, yeah. in the early days it was really a small group of really devoted people who were really sincere and they weren't really doing it because of money or anything like that it's just they really genuinely loved the the practice and it was a community um and of course that gave rise to some amazing teachers and I think times I think it was a little at, I don't know, maybe I'm making this up, but my perception was it was like a little tougher and a little stronger. Like people were a little more hardcore. Um, for sure. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. I mean, there's people doing all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, um, practicing for four or five hours twice a day. Yeah. And, you know, I, th I uh, talk about time, in my yeah. book, there was, if I don't know if you remember this part, but there was a guy who used to come to the studio. God bless him. He was a cool guy, but he, he, had his headphones on and he had Slayer written on his mouth. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he would just do practice. Yeah, he yeah. would do class after class after class and never do Shavasana. So he would just go through right into the next class and he'd do like two or three classes in a row. And uh, he would just sometimes do his own thing, completely ignore the teacher. He's always in the corner and ha like he had headphones on during class. So he was listening to like heavy metal and uh, <laughs> talk about hardcore and, and then I asked Larry one day, I said, yo, what's that guy doing over there? And he's like, oh, he's fine. L let him do his thing. He's getting off heroin. Yeah. So, so it was like, he had that, he had that, um, he had that nature where, you know, he accepted and, and, and allowed everyone to do what they needed to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it yeah. wasn't, it didn't, being around Larry, wasn't like a judgmental vibe. It wasn't a heavy trip. It was like, come do your practice. Um, you know, and he was just there. He was like, you know, he was like the mayor of South of Market, San Francisco, which was a grimy neighborhood. There's a lot of a lot of drug addicts, a lot of crime, a lot of stuff happening in that area. It's changed a lot now. It's still kind of bad, but um, but it was, you know, it was just like a it was an amazing little sanctuary in place where people could come yeah, from all around yeah. and and find some peace in the middle of the city. I would have loved to have met him, you know. I mean, I, I knew quite well Matty is Ratty, I knew. So she used to talk about him a lot, yeah, you know, and I how what a what a character he was. So yeah, I would have loved Oh, they, they used to get into it, those two. I'm sure they were because Maddie was yeah. pretty uh she was pretty yeah, full on was, as well, you know. So them yeah, two Matty's together would be an amazing, uh, amazing party, you know. Like if you had yeah, them two in a class man. teaching together, wow, what a class. But yeah, I mean I think, you know, without sentimentalizing the good old days, there was definitely a feeling of like catharsis and healing in the mm -hmm. class when we started you know and people were crazy you know like just encouraged to, to push themselves as hard as they could and kind of sw sweat out the pain and trauma kind of thing you know at least uh, at least i was you know <laughs> like you know and yeah. i think that, and Larry, that there was a lot of others around us doing the same and we were all just wearing underpants or or swimming shorts yeah. at best you know like you know, bicycle pants, shorts yeah. or or swim shorts and you just well, they didn't really have they, they didn't really have yoga, yoga clothes. Yoga there was no yoga clothes. Yoga clothes. Just, yeah. yeah. And you have a beach towel on the floor, just soaking with sweat, you know. And everyone was just, yeah, it was a pushing kind of vibe of just kind of like, let's just get it out and cleanse ourselves. Whereas today it's yeah. uh, it's it's sanitized in many ways. And of course there's good and bad because I mean, where was yeah. people being pushed to the point of, you know, crippling themselves, you know? And uh, and yeah. now I think yeah. there's a lot of more understanding about anatomy and uh, safety and all that stuff, which is good as well, you know? And, and I, I think, yeah, well, everything, everything has essentially three qualities, you know, which we learned from yoga. Everything is essentially good. Everything is essentially bad and everything is essentially neutral. So dark, light and mixed. And everything has those three qualities, those three gunas. And one of the things I loved about Larry is what I think he understood that a lot of people were getting hurt with the adjustments and stuff. And I think that's why he had a real, his policy was like, you never push or impose yourself on, this, on someone mm. else's body like that. So he was really aware of that, like early on. Um, and he just had a, um, you know, in San Francisco, you know, back in the day was also had a really accepting vibe. Like there was a, there was a feeling of, you know, a lot of artistic, creative people and um, kind of counterculture, subculture 
and there was just a, a real feeling of just um yeah acceptance mm-hmm. people could be weird whatever mm-hmm. you know it's cool just we're all here we're all here to do the practice we have that in common um but yeah yeah it, it's interesting man it's, it's interesting what about um, your time in Mysore because I didn't even know that you were really in Ashtanga like in such a way I, I mean I think actually to be honest I should have expected it because I think Nancy Gilgoff gave me a tape or something like that she liked your music oh, cool. you know so oh, there thanks. must have been some connection there so I would have inferred it from there but uh, yeah I mean you went to Mysore and you practiced for uh, with Batabi uh, Joyce well actually I think you also practiced with Venkatesh you said in the book but your yep. first experience yeah. of the concert which I wanted to get around to the music of course is in uh, many people know Ganesh from Mysore and Anu's house, uh, his wife and mm-hmm. him. And, and you, your first ever concert was actually a, a four yogis, four what, aspiring yeah. yogis at Ganesh's place, right? Anu's house. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, MC Yogi was born on that rooftop in India. The The name had come to me early, one day when I was doing a self practice. And I thought, I don't know where it came from. I had been scribbling some rhymes, and because I've always been into poetry, and and uh, maybe at some point I could share some some lyrics or some verses too. Yeah, yeah, please do. Anytime, um, just break out. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm I was doing myself practice, and I was in Shavasana, and this name just came in, and it was like MC Yogi, and I was like, oh, perfect, the most dumb generic name possible. So let's let's just go with that. So that that kind of stuck, and then that concert at the top of um on the rooftop that was the first time i'd ever performed these songs that i was writing okay so a little verse um i just oh i just wrote a couple things you know i write every day my practice is i I just yeah i just like to write so i wrote this composition in a composition you know i just like to play with words Mm -hmm. and look at what is the um different way to work with words because words create worlds and Words can be just like the gunas. They could be good, they could be bad, or they could be neutral. And oftentimes it's how we charge the words. So you can say something that could come across as really negative, like if I'm just you know messing around with my brother or my sister, um, but it's coming from a place of love. Or you can say something that feels like very positive and nice and shiny, but it's actually coming from not a good place. Mm. So the intention, like what the energy that we give to words, I think that's why like in the in the yoga tradition, like there's so much emphasis on bringing attention and awareness to syllables when you're chanting mantras and, and Sanskrit is such a, um, such a powerful language that it carries a lot of intention inside of it. If you know what it represents. Um, and so when I'm writing a lot of the rhymes and a lot of the things that I write, it's really, it's a way for me to, um, focus and direct my monkey mind. Um, it's a way to really, it's sort of like a practice for my thoughts, like really mm. putting my thoughts into postures and, and getting the words to interlock so that they rhyme and flow and stream together like a vinyasa essentially. Like, so I've been working on this song It's called practice makes progress. I let go of the alchemist. They focus on the process. The road we travel is not made of gravel, dust, dirt, rock, concrete, or even asphalt. It's more subtle, traveling through subtle tunnels, away from the external surface, world of the ego. 10,000 candles lit from one wick, raise a lantern quick, traveling through the labyrinth. Escape the erratic, moving back toward the ecstatic. Ecstasy, exit toward the sea, shake off the shadow and the shackles trying to tackle me, feel the chain. Sliding off my brain, pressure drops like rain, feel it spiral down the drain. Freedom is a feeling when the ceiling is open, when the mind wanders, bring it back again and again, stay focused. So I just, I take like words and I construct them and I, I make it my, my habit because our habits create our habitat. So it becomes my habitual ritual of just constructing and shaping and, and hammering words and, and melting them down until they flow like a river. And that was good. I really liked it. Yeah. I had a good flow to it, you know? Um, Yeah. For sure. I mean, but what I want to say there, I mean, what was going through my head there is, well, the words were, were good, but how, I mean, do you remember all those things? You know, if you've got like 20 songs like that, how would you possibly remember? Oh, there's, there's more than 20. It's like, yeah. a, it's like, well, like say my, you do a concert, you know, and you've got like a yeah. whole sound, like playlist. How, are you looking at the screen or do you just remember them by heart? So the interesting that's thing a yoga is practice like, itself. I don't know if it's called a mnemonic device. I'm not quite sure, right. but when you, like when you when you're chanting or when you're rhyming or when you're rapping or when you're, you know, reciting and you're rocking, so it's a somatic movement as well. It's in it's it's a part of the neural net. Like it's in the body, it's in the brain, 
it's um, it gets programmed into the software, the folds of the fabric. So it's like in, like you you see the images of Hanuman chanting Ram, and when he tears open his chest to reveal Sita and Ram shining like a blazing sun inside the center of his heart, it's said that the onlookers who witnessed that that dazzling spectacle of Hanuman revealing his truth. They saw that along every sort of tissue, every sinew, every fiber, every organ, every bone was tattooed the name of his beloved Ram, 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 Ram. So his whole being was exuding his mantra because he became so absorbed, so concentrated and so drenched, so soaking wet in the spirit of his prayer, of his mantra, that his whole being would exude that vibration and that sound. So when I do my rhymes like temple life, never flickers and it never fades never dies never wavers never blows away untouched by the wind rain beyond pain feel the light shining bright inside the rib cage to enter the central innermost chamber sacrifice my pride let go of all my anger let it all go let myself be humble moving through the inner eye of the needle see the light that shines through the keyhole piercer not turn the lock enter the temple the mental is the essential temple the cerebral cathedral so the words, they just, they're in me. Like I can't even get rid of them. It's like they've crystallized inside my mind because I've, I've worked so deeply on like imprinting them and like carving them and crafting them and sculpting them until they're constructed. They're like a, you know, um, it's just like a sonic prayer. And I can access that just by, actually really just by relaxing. The more I relax, the more I remember them. So it's interesting. It's like, I imagine the practice, like when you do a lot of postures for a long time and do a lot of pranayama, a lot of scriptural study and everything like that, it does, and I believe I read this somewhere that every ounce of practice, even a tiny drop of practice will never leave you. You will always have the benefit of any effort you put moving toward the the self with a capital letter. It's in the back of a Gita. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there. Four or five, yeah. Nothing will be oh, lost, right. yeah, nice. in this life and the next. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. I, I, you know, so when you go into that, it's like you know, actually, it's like suddenly a completely different break to the interview, you know. And when you're doing that, it can it just you know the energy changes, you know. And I can see like just some sense of something which is which is deeper, which is you know, there, there's something coming through there. I mean, I yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. I mean, because it's so it's, focused it's, and it's very I relaxing, mean, you know, man. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, is it relaxing when you're doing it? Because are you, oh, aware, of like, the, are you it, aware of the crowd? And, and, and how does that relate to you and the crowd? Because it's so innerly, innerly focused. that it doesn't Sometimes seem, I lose. Yeah. Sometimes I get lost and I don't see anybody. Just I'm in articulating the words and the awareness around the voice and the words where everything else disappears. Um, so like I got one just coming up now is like um, dancing in the sun rays blaze from the one return to the point where the light comes from succumb to the pool drawn in like my tongue like undulating waves lap across the ocean melt the mind so I'm no longer numb keen to come for those who don't fight over crumb flung back into the space from which we all sprung when my work is done I'll be dancing in the sun so like when I go into that it's like it's like ripples or waves so it's the cadence of the, the syllables yeah, and yeah. I think it rep- I think it represents the waves of the mind, and when I can see the waves of the mind, I can observe and be aware of it. And as the witness, as the awareness itself, I can just let it flow. And so I'm aware that I'm doing it, but it's just kind of happening. Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of I mean, it's just kind of happening. That's what I say when there's something there. I could see you're kind of going into a different state, and you have to. I mean, you know, it's like I used to think I had a good memory, and I used to try and remember off by heart certain certain you know who has the stuff you know who incredible. has the best you know who has the best memory tell me you do you know who do you know the you i'm referring to no the spirit oh right okay. because <laughs> did you get it? so it's all there it's coming it's through, all there as you say it's coming through yeah, isn't it? Spirit, yeah, yeah 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 spirit spirit right. knows everything is everything is all loving all present never so what, never changes and so just resting it, in that what's the best uh what's the best uh lyrics that the spirits ever told you what's your favorite lyrics <laughs> that you've ever yeah, come through you oh the, you must, the fairest yeah lyrics yeah the I've best stuff that you've uh you feel like you've you've channeled as it were. Oh wow. Yeah. There's there I mean there's sure catalogs. There's a, I mean Sunning Well in the early in the early days, like when I first like I first started writing in my 
in my late teens mm. when I first started practicing. So in those early days, there were some songs like at the base of the spine is the root of the ground, Muladhar Chakra, the Bija Mantra or sound is Lam, color red, and the element is earth, ground floor, and support of the whole universe. Second wheel is in the center of the hip, Swadhisthana Chakra, which represents relationship. The mantra is Vam, and orange is the hue, water is the element, which makes it all move. Third wheel is in the solar plexus, Manipura Chakra, the mantra to bless this is Ram, color yellow, shining brighter than the sun. The element is fire, which fuels digestion. Fourth wheel is in the center of the chest, Anahata Chakra. The key is the breath. The mantra is Yam, to bring love, melt fear. The color is green and the element is air. Fifth wheel represents communication. Vishuddha Chakra, sky blue, purification. Say Ham, to generate a blessing. And so I started to memorize the chakras and it was I started to write these rhymes as a way to teach myself. So the sixth wheel is known as the third eye. Ajna chakra, which is the color of the night sky. Yeah. The mantra is the most sacred syllable om when it's heard the word helps to clear the dome. Seventh wheel sits just like a crown. Sahasvara chakra, pure light shining down. A thousand petal lotus which slowly unfolds, uniting individuals with the supreme soul. Seven prayer wheels spin inside the subtle body. Along the midline known as Shishunanadi, Ida and Pingala regulating both sides, breathing through the nostrils to balance the mind. Coiled three times at the base of the spine, Kundalini slumbers till it wakes and climbs up the radiant gradient from dark to light, moving from impermanence to eternal life. So it's all just a way for me to teach myself and remember what the the symbols that and the insane. elements yeah. and the mantras of the chakras were. So in the beginning, when I really started writing it, it was really just for me to learn. <laughs> Is it? And then I and then people heard it and they're like, "Oh, you should share it." And I was like, "Okay," but but in the beginning, it was really just for me, yeah, because yeah, I was well, really, yeah. yeah. Well, see, your music's like an education in in, uh, in yoga yeah. philosophy, but for any, I mean, and especially for anyone, well, it's of, like, well, yeah, well, I mean, it's you're probably just, yoga for dummies because it's well, definitely it's, you know, the, it's a good entry, comic I mean, at least, yeah, for anyone struggling to think that they, oh, I've memorized the chakras or the primary series postures. Come on, guys, get, get a grip. I mean, what you're <laughs> what you're doing is insane. I mean, it's that is no, incredible. don't get a grip. That's that's the whole point. Yeah. Don't get a grip. just let it go, let right? It, okay, just let it go. Let it go. Let it all okay. go. Uh, segwaying along from that, I mean, you you know, you have a background in um, you know, in in regular. In it was like regular music and non non um you know non Indian music non yoga music you know like and a lot of it as you said in your book is a uh, it's a little bit more uh, salubrious let's say is talking a little bit more about uh, yeah that's a great word man salubrious. yeah I've got, you know kind of yeah what, is, what does that mean song, credit is, me uh, well what is it's, salubrious uh, yeah, salubrious I think it's of of a nature of a uh, questionable um uh, value um, nice salubrious say, uh, perhaps yeah that's beautiful. Yeah. So let's say the questionable uh, value of a certain hip hop stuff that, you know, that would have influenced you. I mean, you're rapping, you know, the background of rap is obviously it's about cars, women, drugs, um, killing people. Um, you know, how do you square? How do you, you know, like, you know, and you grew up in a, in a, a gritty background and you had some exposure to that. No, I grew, up in, I grew up in the suburbs, man. I grew up in a, I grew up on the outskirts of the city. Like it's, um, I'm... I grew up at a time when hip hop was really, really, and it, I imagine in some ways it really still is, but I grew up at a time when hip hop was just absolutely beautiful. It was intelligent. It was sophisticated. Um, there was amazing wordplay, incredible artists. Um, you know, I grew up with Tribe Called Quest, Souls of Mischief, um, the BC Boys, Run DMC, KRS One. I grew up at a time when hip hop was really elevated. Um, and a lot of people call it the golden era, the golden age of hip hop. And so, yeah, there was always that element of, you know, death and destruction, but that's in every form of music. Like heavy metal has that, you know, um, country music has songs about dying and kill, getting killed and stuff. So the, it's a, that's that there, there's that element. Cause I think that comes with entertainment, like wanting to have things that are dramatic and that'll get your attention and, and yeah, and there's also like the flossiness and like the shiny, you know, materialism. But that's in every every um, yeah. Genre I suppose well. what I was asking is what is it, what what have been your influences? You know, um, but I guess yeah. you just answered that in those in those particular. Um, I think my biggest like influences that weren't too weren't too were, uh, edgy. George Harrison, George yeah. Harrison from the oh, Beatles. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, who was a who was a devotee of Krishna? Yeah, George Harrison's a huge influence. Um, 
the Beatles just in general. But, you know, I grew up, you know, my, my early cassettes, man, when I was growing up was like James Brown, Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, the Beach Boys, um, you know, Elvis. Just like I grew up like on American music, like real yeah, it's American. Yeah, so, oh, so, uh, you know, so American. Like rock it? and yeah, roll, yeah. jazz, yeah. Um, just all of it, man. Like in my household, like my mom and my dad, like they, they all had so much good music, um, you know, I mean, it's I could go on for an hour yeah, yeah, about yeah. just the influences. And, but it's and just funny, though, because I, we were talking beforehand and he was asking my influences and the music I listened to. And it was exactly the same. Like my parents listened to the English versions of that, you know, so yeah. not the Beach Boys, but we had the Stones, the Beatles, all the stuff that went along in the 60s in the UK, you know. Oh, amazing. Uh, the, the Kings, the Faces, Rod Stewart, yeah. you know, all the stuff that was there, you know, but it was completely English. And it was only later when uh, you know, my parents, you know, being English, we're never really that much drew to the American stuff in England, you know, like uh, there wasn't really that much crossover. I'm trying to think, you know, I mean, there may be a little well, bit there, Elvis, like, but not there much, was, you know, but I mean, there's the a, there was certainly a, not. I, I, that was something was, that came to myself. That was very, that was very example, California. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Great harmonies. And the doors, big fan of the yeah. doors. The doors. But there was always, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, music is always at, like, I know that like the British invasion was deeply influenced by like Southern blues and, you know, For there's sure. always, yeah, the stones, there's always, yeah, a, especially. music is always a confluence of, of so many influences and that everyone is influencing everybody else. So it's, it's like a huge tributary where all these rivers are streaming into this ocean of popular music. And, you know, growing up, I was just surrounded in this sea of, of just amazing, amazing art and amazing music, especially in the Bay area. Um, so many great bands came out of here. I mean, the Grateful Dead came out of here. That's you know, Larry was Did connected they, but to the I was dead. in San Francisco, were they? I didn't know. Yeah, that. just actually not far from where where I live. And, oh wow, I love um, Jim Morrison. Yeah, and just the whole psychedelic movement. Um, yeah, 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 was really big. And then, yeah, I had the Beats as well. The Beats from San Francisco, right? Kerouac, and before that, you had some beat, yeah, exactly beat poetry. You know, Ginsberg, yep. Kerouac. Burroughs, and, all this stuff, you know, and a lot of yeah. influence, a lot of Buddhist influence. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, San Francisco has always been a huge gateway for Asia, you know, Asian culture. Um, yeah. You know, Angel Island, which is close to San Francisco, was the Ellis Island of people immigrating from from Asia, China, uh -huh. Japan. Um, you know, I always grew up. I grew up with around like a lot of like, you know, a lot of my friends growing up were Palestinian and. Um, I had a lot of Jewish friends, Christian friends, Buddha, one of my best friends was, you know, from Laos, so, you know, Buddhist. Um, and it's just always like a mix, you know, just like a bunch of, and the, the one thing that we always had in common with my group of friends, like my, cause I ran with a bunch of different crews, um, is we always, the music was like the anchor. So at that time, like breakdancing, graffiti, um, freestyling, emceeing, um, DJing, like putting on parties, like that mm. was really, that was really happening. And it was a really fun time to grow up because people were really creative and they were innovative. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely, um, you know, just when we grew up, it was just a really exciting time to be, yeah. to be in California. I think you're in the right place at the right time in many respects, I think, you know, um, yeah, what about the what about the beats then? I mean, what do you like? It's clear that you're yeah. writing first. It seems to me like you're writing first and then putting the beats on later. Which, first of all, I think you are using some some beats that, and then now you're making your beats for a long time. You've been making your beats, I think. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of influences, like now, the what kind of modern influences? Let's say, let's do kind of dovetail two different questions as we draw to the end of our chat here. Yeah. Modern influences on your beats. How do you square the music with the beats and what are your modern influences on the rhythms that you put together? Eh? Everything is a collage. Everything is a mess. Everything is chaos. Everything is confusion. Everything is a swirling space filled with dust and planets and stars and comets and nebula and it's all just spiraling and spinning and then i look at a flashing thing and i see a flashing thing and i see something over there i see a jewel i pick up a gem i look at the flower my wife says something i walk outside you know the antenna's up i hear someone talking um you know and then it all kind of falls in in to this basket or this bowl or this pot and then I start breathing and it just starts cooking and it starts stewing and it starts growing and how it happens. I have no idea. And it, it, 
never fails to in, amaze me at how anything is created at all. Every single object on my desk, I was talking to a great friend of mine the other day who was really inspired by the beach. He's a singer-songwriter named Jesse De Natale, a good friend of mine. And he was. we were at a diner. We're having coffee together and we're talking. And he says, look at that coffee cup. And I said, do you know what it had to take for someone to have that thought? to be able to sell it to the boss, to get him to make it, and then to be able to manufacture and produce it and then get it to our table and all the elements that had to come together to make that single little cup. Like if we were really aware of how much energy and magic it takes to create anything, we would be in a constant state of awe. And so I, as a, as a writer, as a yogi, as a poet, as a mystic, if, if, any of those labels stick and hopefully they don't because I'm, you know, I don't want to live under titles or labels or names, but really to be in the spirit of creativity is to be aware of how amazing life is and how much magic is teeming inside of every, like your microphone, um, your amazing eyebrows, you my know, eyebrows. My I don't know. No one's ever commented on my yeah. eyebrows before. Thanks, mate. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Did, did I raise a brow? Did I raise a brow? Raise my brow now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds an amazing. So I don't know. To be you. So I don't I mean, know I, how. I, I don't give. You know, I would give. Well, my, I don't my, know. Uh, my my front teeth to be you. I mean, that, that sounds. You know, just constantly in that zone of creativity. It sounds like. Is that the case? I mean, do you ever well, have any, any downtimes when you're just not creative when you kind of can't think of anything to write or say? I mean, it just sounds like it's a blessing. It's a it's a blessing and a burden because yeah. it's mind, you know, it's, it's a busy mind. It's a creative, active mind. And I think the burden is identifying with the mind and the emotions is when I tend to suffer and feel uncomfortable. So that's why the music is, is therapy because it helps me get it direct out. The, yeah, 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 the yeah. thoughts and emotions to move it in a constructive direction. Yeah. Cause otherwise it, it will destroy me. Yeah, for sure. You've got a lot going on there. I mean, just lit 24 seven with, you know, that's just, uh, yeah. Well, it's, I, I think it's all of us, man. I really do believe that's the human condition was the mind uh, is always I moving. Know. There's a lot the of people mind. out there quite dull, really. <laughs> but that's that's only on the surface. Like, if oh, you were yeah, to, mucking if, around. I mean, yeah, sure. I, mean, I, just, I, I, I get I, you. Yeah, point, I get you. Everyone's point. got stuff to get out, you know, but I mean, it happens that you've got to, you know, you've been able to channel it. And to some, to some degree, I've been able to channel my, my ideas as well. And I think especially if you've got those things inside you and they don't come out, as like as it says in the gospels what's inside you will will kill you yeah. you know and if you don't right. get it out you know it will save wow, you but wow. it will kill you it will kill you that yeah, is so amazing you, you gotta read the gospels of thomas yeah i yeah. love the gospel the, so the, yeah, the, yeah okay let me drop a few gems in because like I, I love sharing these and i think everybody w imagine is familiar so it's not nothing new but seek first the kingdom and then everything else shall be added unto that so my understanding of that is that Awareness is spirit. Awareness is love. Awareness is the connecting force and factor that unifies all of us. The awareness shining through my eyes is the same awareness shining through your eyes, shining through all eyes. It's life. It's nature. It's spirit. And it has no thoughts. It has no emotions. It has no attachments. It has no judgments. There's no comparisons. It rejects nothing. It needs nothing. It's perfect. It's complete. It's excellent. It's the alpha spirit energy of love that is over everything that no one can conquer that loving force because it is the, the force field, the fabric of, of, of life, of creation of the universe. So if we seek that first, which is the seer, if we seek that shining self, that silent presence first, if we go to awareness, go to spirit first, the kingdom, the inner realm, the space, the presence, the grace, then everything else will fall into place because it's like putting a one in front of all the zeros because without that spirit, without that first thing first, everything is empty. Everything is a zero. That's why we have addiction, why we have a God-sized hole inside of us that can never be satiated or satisfied because everything we do externally, whether it's fame, creativity, music, family, work, regardless of what it is that we go outside to try to complete us, it will always inevitably disappoint us because it's going to change. But spirit never changes. It's always still, always here, always present, always aware. Sat, chit, ananda. And so when we song? Go, would you just come up with that now? 
Let's do it. Let's do a collaboration. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's, for sure. That's a let's good call that's, it that's Salu- a Salubrious. Salubrious? That's, Maybe that's the name of our Salubrious. band. Salubrious. Salubrious. That's a song in itself, you know? Yeah, write it. Dedicate it to me, Adam Keen. So you well, said look, if I mean, you don't take what's outside of you, it will – say it again? Something like if you – oh, I can't say it now. Like if you don't um, – what if you don't get – if you don't get what's inside of you, outside of yourself, you know, like it will save you or it will kill you. You know, if you don't right. bring forth, I think it's like it's something. If you don't bring forth what's inside you, then uh, you know it will kill you. You know, so uh, my, or it will my, save you. I'd have to look under- at the uh, the gospel. My record, understanding, you know? my understanding of that is it's love. Like if you don't allow the love to express itself, it's gonna get it's gonna get very uncomfortable. But the tricky part is. The kingdom itself, heaven is love, being in the space. My grandpa used to always say, when you love someone and they love you, that's heaven. You're in heaven. And the tricky part is when we get into the vrittis, the fluctuations of the mind, is the mind creates conditions and attachments and it becomes transactional, where I give you something so that I can get something back. And so this is like the Gita says, to give and act without attachment to outcome. So the process of giving love means giving awareness because awareness, love is not an emotion. Love is not a thought. It's a presence. Thoughts and emotions always change. Love is changeless. It is still, it is timeless. It never flickers, never fades. So how do we give love? We can do it through going for a walk. Going into the garden, share, it's just you connecting. Know, yeah, it's just connecting, connecting outside of yourself, basically, it's really, connecting. isn't it? I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of somewhat uncomfortable with the word love because I feel it's so ambiguous and hides so much in it, you know. But you know, basically, well, you know, yeah. and it's also easily to confuse it with romantic love, which is just exactly sentimental, exactly. you know, which right. is the pitfall there. But I mean, what I say exactly. is connections. Like, look, look, you're a moth, right? You're a moth, and mm-hmm. you want to be drawn to the flame. But if you, you, so we're constantly circling around the flame, which in the end, you know, is going to is going to kill us, you know, yeah. if we go into that flame, which is the other you know but constantly the self wants to seek something of resolution in connection right. but of course exactly. in going outside yourself you lose yourself and therein lies the lies the paradox really um well that's that's maya when the mind moves it's maya when it's still it's moksha so maya exists for a beautiful reason because without it we would have no dance no drama no play no song no life no nature so it's all part of the process is just to be aware of it that that that, that we're all in maya and just to be aware without identifying with it, but being able to see it, celebrate it, and not judge it, and just to understand it. Listen, guys, if you want to um, hear more of these lyrics and stuff, and I'm definitely going to turn on to the to the music now, having heard all this, look at the uh, notes in the uh, the show notes below, and you'll find notes to and uh, links to his music, and uh, hopefully we can splice some stuff in the podcast that you would have enjoyed by now. And hey Adam, just remains, what is yeah. what is uh, what if you say the word Maya backwards? What does it say? I am. This is means chicken in Indonesian. my cousin told me a joke the other day. Why did the chicken cross the road? Uh, yeah. You're supposed to say why. I don't know why. Okay, why did why. the yeah, yeah. why did the chicken why, cross why the road? Across the road. Yeah. To visit the moron. Knock knock. <laughs> It'll take me some time to get that. <laughs> I'll, come, I'll come back to you. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you know, it is true. But, like we can be more off or more on, and I'm definitely more on. I think you are. There's no doubt about that. And it's more been like one of the best uh, best chats I've had. You know. Um, look. I always do this. I don't cut it a bit short because we've all, you know, we don't want people tuning out too too quick. Um, but look, I always end with uh, saying, "What's your? Give me a." Oh, guilty by the pleasure. by the way, by the way, I tuned out a long time ago. <laughs> no, you were very much on. You were, I mean, you know, more that's, on. That's tuned out. I don't know. I don't know what's on. Um, give me a guilty pleasure and inspiration to finish this chat. You know, one a one guilty, guilty pleasure and one ins- inspiration. Oh, yeah, quickly. Don't think too much because otherwise you you'll ruin it. Oh, like what do I en- what do I enjoy? Yeah, like, like you know, something that inspires you, and something which, uh, which you know, um, uh, you feel like it's a pleasure, which is uh, nothing to do with yoga or anything uh, so-called spiritual. Yeah. Oh, driving fast! 
Ah, oh, that's a good run. That's a good run. That's the first. That's yeah. the first of. Yep. Yeah, well, well, you done well there. Driving fast, yeah. driving loud music. Yeah, loud music while driving yeah, right. fast is great. Okay. Yeah. Just let's see what kind of feedback and then also we get from that. Driving really slow with loud music is nice too. Yeah. Obviously, driving fast within the speed limit in a respectable yes, kind of, of manner, course. not uh, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, and what about inspiration? Oh, inspiration is um, is is really the breath, is being able to um, be aware of who's breathing everybody, and being sort of humbled by that. You know, that this force that keeps us all here, that sustains us, that heals us, that keeps us alive and just being in awe of how generous and how amazing and how abundant and how beautiful and graceful life is. It's, it's pretty awesome. Nice. All right. That's a wrap. Nick, MC Yogi, thanks for joining nice. me. And uh, I appreciate you, man. Yeah. That was fun. Cheers. That was a great one. Thank you. Yeah, buddy. Anytime, man. That's fun. Breathe deep. Breathe deep, deep breath.